When it was announced that the bank where he worked broke an economic sanction, even though the cause of the trouble came from miles and miles away, the shockwaves of just having the bank's name paired with an OFAC fine hit everybody. An actress reads his testimony. We were immediately put on the blacklist. You couldn't do business. I had to wander around in sackcloth for two years. It affects everything. Possibly heads will roll, people being charged criminally. When you work in these big organisations, it doesn't matter whether it's a bank or anything else. You are deeply affected by the actions of your colleagues. Even if you know nothing about it, you're going to have to end up doing extra compliance training. Every two months, we had to complete an online test to make sure we knew the rules on sanctions. This is the whole regulatory burden that everyone talks about. And it's not just training your staff and to prevent these things happening, but it's being able to point to a whole audit trail of it. You get hit with a lot of literature and you learn to say the right things. All the extraneous stuff you have to do is much more than it used to be, but with good reason, because if you get this wrong, you go to jail. Do not pass go, that's it. Clients cost financial firms in Europe a record $139 billion last year, according to a LexisNexis survey. Over three quarters of the CEOs they asked said that navigating economic sanctions was a top worry. And there's a reason for that. Breaking one can spell disaster for a company. Big ones spend years rejigging bonus schemes, hiring consultants, and stitching together their torn reputations. While smaller companies, they often don't make it. I'm Nell McKenzie, and in this episode of Euromoney's Treasury and Turbulence Podcasts, we'll examine the aftermath of breaking an economic sanction. What are the practical and legal steps that companies take? How do they change? And is it possible to restore a broken reputation? This podcast is supported by Citi's Treasury and Trade Solutions. With experts in 96 countries around the world, Citi is uniquely able to give advice and solutions to global companies to help them manage their international trade and financial flows in this time of deep uncertainty and change. Here's our banker again. Sanctions are really difficult. They're wide-reaching. People spend enormous amount of time and money And so much of the information is difficult to verify. It just affects everybody in the firm, and they have to make a big noise about it and say, this can never happen again, and we've instituted this and this and this. This is the training and awareness that we undertake to make sure none of this ever happens again. It's a big deal. When OFAC finishes an investigation and they've told a company that now they're in trouble for breaking an economic sanction, there's a bit of time before they decide the fine and put up the public notice. If you settle or work with OFAC, you can present to them all the training you've done to redress your problems, and they might reduce your fine. Here's Eric Ferrari. He's a sanctions lawyer that gives trainings for OFAC, but he also represents companies who are in settlements with the regulator or working to reduce their penalty. He says that when it comes time to tell the government what's been done after a sanctions violation, they don't want promises. They want details. What training materials were used? Who were the instructors? How frequent was training. How long was the training? All of those are the considerations that go in there. If there's a new sanctions program, is there training that occurs at that time? And then I would say maybe the third big topic here would be, how are you verifying that, one, the adoption and implementation of the remedial measures has been effectively implemented? And then two, how are you verifying that your staff actually knows what it's talking about? So, you know, that could be through memorialization of 
the new compliance policies and procedures, for example, through board minutes. It could be uh, independent audit coming in and, and taking a look at the changes that have been made and verifying that, yes, these changes have actually been implemented effectively and, and staff is trained on them. So we kind of start with what has changed, how have we communicated those changes and implemented those changes, and how can we verify that the measures have been communicated and implemented. Our source from episode one, who sold his machines and had them collected from a warehouse owned by a sanctioned person in China, reduced his OFAC fine because of the way he built his compliance program from scratch. I took a commerce course, and then we all took treasury courses. It was a course for learning how to manage and export compliance, figure out how to sell something to companies in different countries and people, and it was just way too much. As he sat there beside all the people working in multinational companies with entire departments filled with compliance people, he felt overwhelmed. I'm one person in a company of 10, you know, it's way too much. So what I learned from it was I need to subcontract this function out to somebody else. I don't have the resources for our company to do this in-house. And it was that person that helped build their compliance program. So we immediately found a company, a consultant company, that we spent, I don't know, $50,000 or more. And it was a very, very long process of review, ultimately culminating in a two or three day meeting where we arrived at a manual that is probably a couple hundred pages. We're a company of 10 people, right? So we have this manual. Anyone who walks through the door of his company, they can literally throw the book at them. They also use a software that checks if a prospective customer might be on a sanctions list. We have a form that we require that everybody sign, that they explain who they are, where it's going, and what they're planning to do with it. So they have to sign off on it. I mean, they could be lying, but as long as we do our due diligence, then we're doing our job. He wishes he knew then what he knows now. You know, obviously, we had a lot to learn. We were naive. It was an expensive lesson. I I abide by these rules now, and I realize that I'd rather not make a sale if I can't do it right, according to the compliance. So that's what I realized. I mean, and everybody takes it seriously at our company. It's been years since his sanctions violation, but every now and again, it still comes up, like when podcast reporters go rooting around the OFAC notices, or when a customer looks him up on Google. I was quoting a machine to somebody and they were about ready to buy the machine. And then they Googled our name to find out a little bit more about our company. And wouldn't you know, the violation came up and they did a little research and he, he, uh, well, he lost that sale because of it. So now here I am, we had a $78,000 fine. We spent about $50,000 in compliance manual uh, assistance and defense, et cetera. And I just lost a $40,000 sale to a guy that Googled my company's name and saw the violation, didn't understand why, you know, he didn't want to do business with us because of it. It could happen again, and it's, it's not something that I'm interested in people learning about with relationship to our company. You know, we made a mistake. We were extremely penalized, and we paid the price. We overcame it. We're a better company, and I, I, I want to just kind of move on, you know? It's hard for companies to shake a damaged reputation, especially online. Oftentimes, particularly in a digital uh, environment, they are less prepared than they should be for the criticism coming at them or the reputation risk coming at them from multiple audiences. 
And, and so they have to go through a, a period of adjustment to that level of criticism and also think about how they better prepare for these sorts of reputation threats. This is Tim Burt. He wrote a book called Dark Art, The Changing Face of Public Relations. He's now the vice chairman of Teneo, a PR firm. When there's a reputational crisis, it's an all-hands-on-deck moment, especially for large companies. So, how does it work? Typically, once a, a crisis has exploded, a company and its advisory team, often led by lawyers, will create a crisis war room in which different executives and outside counsellors gather to map each stage of the reputation repair job, which can last several months. Companies struggle emotionally with PR crises. They even visit the five stages of grief. Through the disbelief and the anger and the bartering and, and eventually get to a period of corporate acceptance. And you've seen it more recently in cases of other companies. You know, you might think Boeing has been through some of that as well with the 737 MAX in the past year. And there are numerous examples in multiple industries. But what comes out of all of this is that companies are now at the board level and through executive management, putting reputation risk high up the agenda of issues for which they need to be fully prepared. And you start to see it emerge in the risk reports of the annual reports. That's a completely different dynamic from just a few years ago. So let's say you don't have a playbook because you're a small to medium-sized company. Do you present a new post-sanctions version of the company and present that to the world? Or do you say, we're the old company and this is what happened? What's the right thing to do? Well, I think what it requires is a company to audit its exposure. If you are doing any sort of business in a part of the world or an industry which faces any sort of likelihood of sanctions, that audit should expose your level of risk. Then preparations can be put in place. Dialogue can be embarked upon with whichever regulatory regime you need to ensure you are compliant with. Sounds like you're saying you really need to handle it before it breaks. In all of these things, the diagnostic phase is as important as the surgery. And you want to ensure in a corporate manner you have that health check undertaken regularly on all your levels of risk exposure. If that health check doesn't have a sanctions chapter to it, then you should better have one. Some larger companies are trying to manage this health check in creative ways. Here's Christian Hunt. He's a consultant who uses behavioral science to clean up the culture of a firm. So I set up a behavioral science function at UBS to do this under uh, the human risk banner uh, because I wanted to give the idea of people, human decision making, a, a brand and a concept that people could rally around. And so I started this, this sort of human risk campaign. Doling out the discipline and getting staff to memorize rule books is one way to do things. But Christian thinks this can have unintended consequences. For example, if there's a culture of zero tolerance for mistakes, that might scare people and they won't come forward on other issues. We need to think about what in the environment is causing that particular behaviour. But a large proportion of them are just responding to the incentives. They're responding to the financial incentives, the cultural incentives they see in front of them, the targets they're given. And one way is technology. So you put limits in place, you put controls in place. But even that's not going to cover every single aspect because people are creative. The real answer lies in the company culture. And that tone is set from the top. So I need to have that senior level buy-in. 
There is no point in trying to introduce changes within organizations if you don't have the buy-in of the senior management, because they have an incredible amount of tools at their disposal, some of which they don't even necessarily think about, that can send signals that can undermine it. So if a chief exec makes some throwaway comment, for example, about, uh, oh, have you done have you done that terrible compliance training? Just that one little comment can undermine a whole compliance program because that senior person sent a signal. A company that lives and dies by its principles will automatically mitigate the kind of culture problem that might lead to an economic sanction. If a company had a culture that said, we don't necessarily want to, we don't want to work with people who are unethical. We don't want to finance things that we think are unacceptable. Then you would go a long way to one meeting sanctions requirements because you come to those decisions yourself. But the second thing is you would be future-proofing yourself against those things. And then you don't have this big clash between the rules that are in place and the principles that you've got internally. Anticipating your PR crisis or hiring a consultant to adjust company culture It might work for big banks, but for smaller firms, a brush with OFAC can be a death knell. The smaller the target, the less likely they are to recover. I mean, a a bank is going to be able to take a settlement and, and move along. And this is not because of the amount of the fine. It's the public announcement of the sanctions settlement or penalty, which is most damaging to them. Because what you see then is banks will pick up on that and they'll either offboard that company or they won't open accounts for that company, even when you did all the right things. Or you'll lose your line of credit um, or they'll restrict your account so you can't do cross-border transactions. Eric says that as soon as things are all settled with OFAC, smaller companies often ring back and he'll represent them again, but this time with the banks. We've had some success representing smaller companies before financial institutions, informing them that, look, we're on board, we're external counsel, we're the ones responsible for assisting the company in augmenting its compliance practices and ensuring that it's following its compliance practices effectively and not exposing the bank to any risk. So we've we've done that quite a bit. So it's really the reputational damage that causes the most harm. Correct, because there's a, the reputation now carries with it associated risk and exposure to risk. And what's the strange thing about it, too, is that you're looking at an OFAC settlement where OFAC identifies what remedial measures were taken, identifies that the conduct occurred five, six years ago or whatever, and the bank is still like, no, you're exposing us. And it's like, well, Not really, because the conduct is old. OFAC has acknowledged it's ceased. OFAC has acknowledged we've undertaken remedial measures. So why do you believe there's still exposure? You're actually more exposed when it was happening. Breaking relationships because of reputational damage is something that our banker says isn't taken lightly from their side, but it's something they have to do. So you're dealing with a country or a person and someone's Googled and said, I see that in 2012 they were blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you just lose the will to live. (laughs) And you just say, you know what? It's really not worth us to try and do business here because the risks so outweigh the opportunity. Even if the opportunity is great, it's going to be so painful getting this approved. You just say, we can't do it. Because the banks are under pressure and not just from OFAC from their local regulators too. And so the regulator will look at it and say, well, you're keeping on board these customers who you know at one time have violated sanctions and therefore would carry a higher risk than you know, a customer who hasn't. 
And therefore, since you're doing that, you're not appropriately mitigating risk and we're going to penalize you for your failure to carry out appropriate risk mitigation. What is the one most important thing a company can do? The most important thing a company can do, there's a lot of important stuff to do, I think is really what it comes down to is training staff and making sure they understand what they're supposed to be looking for. Screening filters, I mean, you know, you make slight adjustments or you make a modification and it's done. Policies and procedures are only really as good as the paper they're written on if you're not adequately training personnel and communicating expectations. In my opinion, really, it's about training and verifying that training. Do you think sanctions are fit for purpose, given how easy they are to break? I think the answer to that question is that they're not easy to break. They're actually hard to break and they become harder every day. And that's why you see these scenarios with enforcement notices that have to delve into unknowns or problems that maybe weren't apparent or or on the company's radar, because that's exactly the kind of cases OFAC picks for enforcement action, because a lot of OFAC's enforcement actions are geared towards providing a deterrent effect to the broader private sector. So when you see an enforcement action and you say, well, wow, how could they have known that? That's OFAC speaking to the private sector and saying, hey, this sort of stuff could be happening at your company and you need to be mindful of it. Except it really sucks if you get caught out, right? Yeah. Yeah. More on financial inclusion, company culture, and what happens when you lie to your bank in the City House View, coming up in 5, 4, 3, 2. Welcome to the City House View. I'm still your host, Nell McKenzie, and joining me is Charlie Greer, Amaya Head of AML Sanctions and In-Business Risk at Cities, Treasury, and Trade Solutions. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Now, What hit you when you were listening to it? A topic that doesn't get discussed very often, which is if all else fails and things go wrong, how do you come back from a sanctions failure? It's not a topic that we talk about very often because we all like to think that we're in a strong position to prevent these occurrences. But we've got to remember why sanctions exist. And it's not just a question of this is going to be really bad. You could go to jail. We're trying to affect real change. Governments are trying to affect real change with countries, people, organizations that conduct behavior that it seeks to damage lives, economies and start conflicts. So at the back of it, just recognize that sanctions are there playing a very critical part. What did you think about some of the themes that were touched on that involved financial inclusion? In the banking industry, we tread a very fine line. We have to take risks in order to enable a business to grow. We've got, got to support cash-based economies, for example, which are risky activities to undertake for financial crime risk and sanctions included. But equally, we have to ensure that we're not doing anything that regulators or law enforcement would deem as being illicit, which then leads to financial exclusion, which can, in a very scary way, perpetuate the behaviour that we're all seeking to change. So I think talking about the comments of your banker at the outset are very accurate insofar as we've got to make sure that we, we keep business going and we support economies and maintain geopolitical stability in some of those riskier places. But ultimately, we've got to make sure that the regulators are content with how we do that. And how have relationships between banks and their customers changed? So I think we automatically 
have have seen an increase in the friction around you know getting a bank account um it, you're expected to provide all sorts of documentation up front you might see payments slowed down because sanction screening identifies something in in a payment that that is that is worthy of further investigation um you also you know if there is a a sanctions misdeed in a relationship then it might impact the overall ability of a bank to service that particular client which is an uncomfortable position for everyone to find themselves in um but i do think that the the one piece of advice i could give is if you find yourself in a situation where you have failed to comply successfully with sanctions legislation be honest with your bank be honest with the sanctions regime themselves demonstrate you found it in a timely way i have to ask what does the bank do when somebody lies yeah absolutely so we'd have to look at all the facts in that scenario we aim to conduct ourselves entirely ethically and if we have to work with a client or if we have a relationship with a client that proves to be untruthful with us then that could have very severe ramifications for our ability to service that client moving into the future and it could be indicative of other behaviors that we would feel uncomfortable with and we would have to ultimately be able to defend any position that we took to retain that relationship to our regulators if we were asked so if there was a person involved in a client that we weren't clear about for example if a client tried to obfuscate their beneficial ownership in order to divert our attention away from somebody on a sanctions list not to suggest we wouldn't find it out for ourselves of course we would but if we were to discover that we've been lied to about something like that i can't see a way back from from a client in that scenario in terms of maintaining the relationship What's the most important thing a company can do? Culture is absolutely critical in ensuring that everyone in your organization knows what they're obliged to do and what they it's critical they don't do. Um you need to demonstrate that you have a really strong tone at the top. So if there's conversation around getting external consultants when things go wrong, all the training in the world won't help you if your culture is weak. you can't outsource your sanctions obligations you can't shift the shift the responsibility anywhere else because sanctions authorities will come after you not a consultancy This Euro Money podcast was produced, reported, hosted and edited by me, Nell McKenzie. The music was licensed by Premium Beat and Pond5 and composed by me, Mike Frank. Olive Music, Arthur Bassoff. Thanks to Jasmine Kwashi and Peter York. Special thanks to David Mankin and Ian McKenzie. You've made it all the way to the end of this series. Thank you for sticking with us. I hired ourselves an expensive off specialist who on this up situation for me.